Bienvenidos a la Delioso. Soy Enrique Baires y presidente es el mejor cerveza. Y 818 es el mejor tequila. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito Sandiaguito, a.k.a. Bobby Ball. But, dead or alive, job or no job, we salute our boy properly. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. Simple as that. Had a good talk with Kowalski this morning. And I actually drove my eldest daughter, Peanut, to high school for the first time. Gosh, damn, that's a trip. I had to follow the line of cars. I mean, full flashback from my St. Francis days. But... Uh, of course, then I, I get to the spot where next thing you know, and I wasn't even quite at the spot where I think I was supposed to drop him off, but it just traffic had stopped and poof, she bolted. She was gone. So right after that, I called Kowalski and it's been a minute since we had caught up and he was actually FaceTimed him arriving at the local tennis courts in his area. And we immediately got into a tennis versus pickleball debate. I'm not looking to diminish tennis in any way at all. I love tennis. I grew up playing tennis. And if anything, pickleball is a straight descendant from tennis. And it's all in the same family. They actually have a lot of these professional tennis players now sticking around for these pickleball events after the tennis tournaments are over. So I don't know if they're doing it with the U.S. Open, but they've done this with other tennis tournaments where they'll put on pickleball events immediately after. So a lot of these pros, especially the pros that aren't in the top 50, will go and play pickleball. And try to make a living that way. So there's, you know, look, I'm all love. Uh, We're all about activity. This is a life optimization podcast, first and foremost. So movement uh, and motion is lotion. Uh, We've we've always said that. And I think as we all continue to age, no matter what age you're at, the biggest thing is, is that we continue to go. So the thing with Kowalski is that we've done these epic adventures together, whether it was him crewing me at the Western States 100, us training for multiple Ironmans together, uh, the 24-hour world record of golf. He was by my side for 80 of the 106 miles that I ended up running. The try across America, I would say he was by my side for about 80% of that as well. So, there's something that we all need to ask ourselves in life. And that's what's next. Kowalski 
is 100% my accountability partner. And I'd like to think I am the same for him. So as we go through our lives now, and he's got a job and he's not on the daily hustle each and every single morning, and of course we miss him, we still have to have something there that is not only going to motivate us in our friendship, but also stimulate us from a physical and mental perspective of what are we going to do that's a little fucking over the top? What are we going to do next that could, I don't know, get us excited? Makes sense, right? Well, this morning, we figured it out. As we continue to talk through the tennis and pickleball and everything else. This morning, on the 6th of September, 2023, we will make a public declaration that in April of 2024, we are going to set... A new world record. And what is that record? Most games of pickleball played in a 24-hour period. That's it. So our grand plan is to use this as a Let Them Play Foundation fundraiser as we do with all the big events. And between now and April, Both of us are going to tighten up our game enough to be able to go out there and not be chumps. I think that's the biggest thing. You want to be able to go out and at least hold your own against some of these better players and get them involved. I can't wait. This is going to be electric. And if you think about it, if you're wondering what that number may be, well... I believe you could play a game every 10 minutes. Now, the longer games might take 15. The shorter games might take five. But 10 minutes is going to be that average. Then you add in fueling and other stuff that you obviously have to consider. This is going to be an arduous journey. But the number that we are thinking that we can get to and that we will be chasing is 144 games of pickleball in those 24 hours. I'd love to do it in the home community here at Martis. We'll see if we can make that happen. There's going to be lights that will need to be brought in so long as they have no issues with that. Why April? Eh, Probably because it's before the busy season. You call it the shoulder season. Access to courts. Shouldn't be an issue if we end up hogging a court for 24 hours. And the beautiful part about it is that we're going to do this as doubles partners. So with that, we're going to be playing games. So we're going to sell slots and use that money that we're bringing in from these slots. This is a pay to play. You want a piece of us. Then you go ahead and 
I don't know, donate X amount of dollars. Let's call it $20 per game, $50, whatever it is. Who cares? But it's something that now Kowalski and I, we got off the phone. And we had that same feeling like when I told him at the top of Camelback Mountain that we were going to do a triathlon across the country. It's just that giddy little feeling. You can't. There's, there's few things that you think about what, what in life gives you that feeling. Like, what is it that gets you excited? And it's probably not 24 hours of pickleball. Now, the other big issue with this, and we're going to have to figure out between now and April, is has a record like this ever been set? I have no fucking idea. But we could be the first. And then we could set the standard for uh, everybody else going forward. I'm pretty sure you can create this because I know they do at the London Marathon every year where a guy will show up in a taco costume and they say, okay, the fastest taco uh, to ever run a marathon is three hours and eight minutes. So I know there is a place for this and for Guinness where they don't really give a shit because it's a fuck ton of money for them. I know how expensive it was to get them out for the 24 hour world record of golf in which uh, 420 holes were played. So I, it'll be interesting to see uh, and jump through the hoops and get ready for that event. All right. Mm. Let's not forget our title sponsors here this morning. KT tape. We got the skin prep wipes. We have the blister prevention tape for all our runners out there. Now, this is the new tape design, and I'm putting this on today. I can't wait to use it. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, what the tape does is it allows blood flow to go to the area. So if you're dealing with an injury, you're looking for a little extra support, uh, this is gigantic. It, it really will help. And then we have the Pro Oxygen. Like, this is the bad boy shit. I'm pretty sure this is the same thing right here. And, of course, we like to keep our package very tight, very neat, and very chafe-free. Whoa! So, we got the chafe safe. All right. This is uh, the 6th of September, as I mentioned earlier. And, of course, we are going to start with BeAGreatTeacher.com. But not before I mention Verge. Try Verge. It is a cannabis company. Well, it's a cannabis company because that's not necessarily true. But they use a combination of, like, cannabis oil and these little shots. There's lemon. There's ginger. All kinds of shit that's just fantastic. So, uh, Verge, V-E-R-G-E, tryverge.com, I believe. It's Tryverge, I know, for sure, on social media. Uh, go ahead and contact my boy Jory over there, and he will take care of you. September the 6th, 2023, thought of the day, be When you have confidence, you can have a lot of fun. And when you have fun... You can do amazing things. Joe Namath. He's right. But 
I will tell you that confidence comes through work. What we're willing to put in is what we will get out. And even from a confidence standard, our ability to stand up straight, shoulders back, chest out, hands by ourselves, like this is, when we walk tall, it's because we've earned it. False confidence is bullshit, and it's fleeting. So, yes, we will have fun, and we will do amazing things, and we'll have a fuck ton of confidence. But all of that is predicated on work. Joke of the day. Why did the photo go to jail? Because it was framed. Random fact of the day. Mr. Potato Head was the first toy to be advertised on TV. Huh. Journal prompt of the day. What makes you feel peaceful? (sighs) Morning runs. Got up this morning. Yeah, five. That's when Tara actually left for the airport. But I stood on my footboard. I went out and I watched the sun. I don't say come up because I I did not see it come up over the mountains. But Mount Rose is just to the east over here. And the sky lit up. It was like that red, orange, yellow, just fucking gorgeous. And then I went out. I wanted to get a couple miles in. Before I took Chloe to school, I knew she had to leave exactly at seven o'clock. So I went out and ran. And sometimes when I go run, I will have my AirPods in. I'll put on a podcast. I'll listen to news. I might listen to a book. And this morning, I just ran. And I listened to silence. And I felt that cool air. It probably was. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. 39 degrees this morning. It was chilly. But it was that wake up, good sort of feeling that you have. That right there is what makes me feel peaceful. Okay. The... uh, News stories, I grabbed a few, and ironically, I didn't even realize this, but the first two stories I grabbed, and maybe they're talking to me and they could just feel my O's hat back here, but they were about the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> so, even as we, we get into this, look. Uh, the O's are, Will Clark and I talked about it last night, not only a former team of both of us, but this team is one of the best teams in all of baseball. And they, they might be, uh, it's tough to say anyone's better than Atlanta, but I do believe they're the best team in the American League. And then last night, they fucking did it again. It was like, uh, you, I mean, they were down in the ninth, they were losing to the Angels. And then, they ended up coming back, and I'm not even sure 
let's check real quick before we get to it. How it ended up because it was the exact same time I was putting the little dude to bed. It was a 5-4 Baltimore win. Yep. I knew it. It's just insane. This is a team that has a knack for winning baseball games. They know how to fucking do it. So the article here is they're saying that Baltimore isn't relying on pure power to win games, and it doesn't have to thanks to MLB's new rules. The Braves may be the best team of baseball, and the Dodgers may be the most star-studded, but the Orioles are the team of the moment. Damn right they are. No team better represents how baseball sharply turned an aesthetic corner this year than Baltimore. The Orioles are the sixth highest scoring team in baseball, and yet they're the 17th in home runs. How do they do it? With a style of play that was near extinction during the launch angle revolution. They are second in the majors at taking the extra base behind Atlanta and second at hitting with runners in scoring position behind Tampa Bay. The obvious benefit to the new MLB rules, pitch timer, limit on pickoffs, no shifts, is that the games are 25 minutes faster. Just as importantly, the style of play is faster. Nobody does it better than Baltimore, which has the sixth youngest group of position players in baseball. You see it every night. The Orioles are like an up-tempo basketball team. They can run you off the court. I fucking love this. I really do. This is what baseball needs. We play faster than other teams, manager Brandon Hyde said. Bay Area guy, by the way. What's up, B. Hyde? It's not because we're faster runners, but we feel our effort level is good almost every single night. Yes. Look, you want to be great, you better be consistent. At 86 and 51, the O's are winning games at a clip exceeded in franchise history only by the 1969 to 71 teams. And the 79 team, all pennant winners. On talent and gumption, this team is entirely capable of getting the franchise back to the World Series. I'm extremely proud of how hard we play, Hyde said. And I get a lot of compliments from other teams and other coaches, other scouts watching us from the stands. That matters. Including our pregame work. It's an effort and how we get down the line. That's a good feeling. If you're looking for praise, don't go to your fan base. Don't necessarily even go internally because nobody gives a shit. Talk to your opponents. See what your opponents think of you. And you don't, you don't necessarily have to go fish for it. But we got a similar compliment this weekend, our Let Them Play team did. And that matters. When you have the guys on the other side not only coming and saying, hey, man, I, I know you guys were good, like really good. But, man, like, like that's the way you guys played, your execution, the energy, that was impressive to watch. That means something. And that's basically what the Orioles have been experiencing here. They're 24 and 12 in games decided by one run. That, that's, you know how to win fucking games. You realize how good that is? 24 and 12. Only the Brewers and the Reds have won more such games. They have 43 
Comeback wins. That's the most in baseball. They're 44 and 32 against winning teams. Only the Braves have more wins and a better winning percentage against winning teams. The Orioles are 44 and 25 on the road. Again, only the Braves are better. Since June, they have promoted infielder Jordan Westberg and hard-throwing lefty D.L. Hall, who looks like a bullpen utility weapon. Fixed standout rookie Grayson Rodriguez with a one-month tune-up in the minors and traded for pitchers Jack Flaherty and Shintaro Fujinami. He was fucking filthy last night, closing the game out for the Orioles. Next up in in reinforcements is a return of starter John Means, huh? From Tommy John surgery. And after that, the possible, if not possible, debut of 19-year-old Jackson Holiday. And this almost uh, is about to lead us into the next story, who was just promoted to AAA, his fourth level this year. How fucking cool is that? He looks too talented for Baltimore to keep out of a postseason run. Now, it used to be, if you weren't up by September 1st, you couldn't be on the postseason roster. I don't know if that's changed or not, and teams have always found a way to get around it. And it's basically by taking somebody and putting them on the IL. So we'll see what they do with Jackson. It says, Holiday will give Baltimore a third franchise impact player at 25 and under. Rutschman has the highest war of any second-year catcher in baseball history. Holy shit, really? Henderson, that's Gunnar Henderson, just a fucking stud, has more homers, 23 already, than any 22 and under rookie shortstop except Cal Ripken. Corey Seager, 26, and Troy Tulowitzki, 24. He is Seager with a better glove and more speed. In short, by every measurement, over five months, the Orioles are a legit World Series contender. Now and for a few years to come, the Tennessee is to cast Baltimore as some Cinderella team that has popped up during the down years for the Yankees and the Red Sox. This is not so. The Braves and the Dodgers, the biggest slugging teams in the sport, all chalk, if only because we have grown accustomed to home runs as the only path to a championship and power is expensive. But we have entered a new era in which youth, speed, and athleticism are rewarded. This is fantastic for baseball, I'm telling you. The three teams with the biggest payrolls, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Padres, will be going home when the postseason starts. That's wild. Holy shit. Think about that. The three teams with the biggest payrolls, Mets, Yankees, and Padres, will all be fucking going home. There's 12 teams that make the postseason. That's almost half the gosh damn league. And you have the three teams with the biggest payrolls that won't be anywhere near it. Two of the three teams with the smallest payrolls, the O's and the Rays, will be playing on. We all know the postseason is a season unto itself. Baltimore's young starting pitching, facing workload challenges, could wither in the unprecedented seventh month of work. The bullpen could miss Felix Batista. The point is, no matter what happens in October, the Orioles are the right team at the right time. They and their style of baseball are here to stay. Yes, and I fucking love it. I, it's This is what the game needed. 
The game was get boring. It was homers and strikeouts. Now, at least, we're getting more running. We're getting better defensive players, better all-around players. Homers are cool, but you know what makes homers cool? The fucking rarity of homers makes homers cool. So, overall, looking at this thing, I mean, this is going to be a hell of a run if the Orioles are to get to the World Series where, well, they could face off with either the Braves, potentially the Dodgers. I'd be shocked if anybody else comes out of the National League. I mean, the Cubs are a great story. The Brewers are been playing well. The Reds might sneak in there. The Diamondbacks might sneak in there. I, I get it. The Phillies are going to be tough. But who the fuck's going to beat the Braves in a seven-game series? Tell me that. If anything, you could try to get them in the five, but you ain't beating the Braves in a seven-game series. I, I just I don't think so. The Dodgers certainly proved they couldn't. So we shall see. The next news story that I'm going to bring up here is directly related to the first as we celebrate Baltimore on this hump day. Top MLB prospect had a hard time getting a hotel room because of his age. And the fans had plenty of jokes. So it says MLB's top prospect, Jackson Holiday, earned a huge call-up this week with the Orioles when they promoted him to AAA at just 19 years old. But that didn't come without one obstacle. Since Holiday is still a teenager, he had quite the issue booking a hotel room in Norfolk, Virginia on Monday night. All the prospect was trying to do was get a room to prepare for his call-up in Norfolk where the Orioles play the AAA tie. Holiday eventually booked a room after, quote, talking his way into it. And the, ho- the at this the hotel's unknown. It'll be quite the story to sell, tell their saying Social media couldn't help but post funny reactions to this note on Tuesday. Here are some of the best. So they have the kid, the home alone kid, sitting there at the counter, like that's just a classic. I mean, it's these are real things that you think about this. He was in fucking high school last year. That's nuts. And he wasn't the top prospect either. He was a guy that was maybe gonna sneak into the first round before his senior year. Even after all the showcase events, they basically said that, yeah, he's good, but by far and away, the best player in the draft was Drew Jones. Now, as time went on, Jackson Holiday went out and hit 650 for his high school in Oklahoma, but still, I don't know how much that would change things just because everyone... No, I don't say everyone hits 650. That's a ridiculous number. But, you know, these guys go out and put up these astronomical numbers in high school facing the competition that they're facing. Well, Jackson Holiday, the scouts saw something they really liked, and he continued to improve. His dad, Matt, awesome fucking guy. Awesome, awesome guy. I played with him for a short period of time, then played against him. For a number of years when he, they, he was with Colorado and obviously I was with Arizona and we'd always hang. It was just, 
whether it was at the field, away from the field, whatever. It was just a pleasure to be around. You know where I spent a lot of time with him? Was the weight room. I mean, not, not surprising. And this was a guy that worked for everything he got. And so I heard his dad on a radio interview talking about Jackson. And the fact that Jackson decided his senior year that he really wanted to work. He wanted to put in whatever it took to make sure that whether he got drafted first overall or he got drafted 500th overall, whatever, it doesn't matter. He wanted to make sure that he got the most out of his ability. Well, his ability ended up getting him picked first overall. And count me as one of the detractors that said, wow, like, I like Jackson Holiday, good player. We could see him in the big leagues in three, four years. But Drew Jones, man, I mean, the son of Andrew Jones, athlete. Like, just, he, he had the size, he had the strength. Well, what the fuck do I know? Because Jackson Holiday is now knocking on the door of the big leagues. And he legitimately could help the Baltimore Orioles in this postseason run. So, good on him, and hopefully he can find a place to stay. Anyhow, the other thing I wanted to get to today, where we are in time, I guess we're about a half hour in. There's a problem when you have multiple passcodes. Different ones. It's actually, I heard it was good for your brain. So I put multiple passcodes on all of my devices. So like this device has a different passcode than this device. It has a different passcode than this device. So on. It gets really, really confusing. Okay. Uh, Massachusetts. Here's a, another fun story. Pizza place sells out after Dave Portnoy calls it the worst in the nation. I guess all press is good press. A Massachusetts pizza place is seen booming sales after businessman Dave Portnoy branded the joint as the worst in the United States during a viral feud with the owner. Why is Portnoy always looking to get in feuds, man? I got to sit down and wrap it out with this guy. Portnoy, the founder of sports and popular culture blog Barstool Sports, got into an on-camera dispute with Dragon Pizza owner Charlie Reed. Or it looks like Charlie Red, R-E-D-D, while Portnoy filmed his review of their pizza, which he called a floppy mess and gave it a 6.4 out of a 10 rating. Floppy mess is not the adjective you want when it comes to pizza, right? Like the floppy mess. Ugh. A piece, I pick up a piece of pizza. Like, I don't want the, want a nice firm piece of pizza, but you don't want it over, you know, I obviously burnt. Then again, I do like my shit burnt. And I always take my pizza and I'll put it in the, under the broiler for 30 seconds to a minute, pull it out, the sizzling cheese. Yeah. So, Portnoy posted the review on his Instagram and YouTube channel. Dude, Dave, we got to get you on no filter, man. Oh, this is too good. One bite pizza reviews. 
last week labeling the in Somersville, Massachusetts joint, the worst pizza in America. <laughs> this is too good. He also shared footage of his expletive filled exchange with Reed. I mean, dude, here's a picture of Portnoy just flipping the dude off. He's obviously kind of a dick. In the review, Portnoy criticized pizza's heavy Parmesan, saying, This is an acquired taste. If you get this, know you're going to get hit with a left right in the face with Parmesan. I like Parmesan. Dave, enjoy your pizza as any customer, but I don't appreciate what you do coming in and judging a business with one bite. He's got a point. Red told Portnoy in the video as he recorded the review, I hope you enjoy your pizza, but I don't appreciate what you do to a small business. Portnoy told Red that his reviews actually help so many small businesses so he could peacefully say that the pizza was trash and referred to Red as a clown. USA Today has reached out to representatives for Portnoy and Dragon Pizza for comment. So then Dragon Pizza, all of a sudden their business started booming. Red's business appears to have profited following the negative reviews. On Monday, Dragon Pizza thanked the community for another day sold out and an Instagram post. On Tuesday, the account announced its closure to get through the rest of the week. Oh, this is too good. Quote, we are completely sold out and need a day to prepare for the rest of the week. Thank you for our amazing staff and supporters. Couldn't do it without y'all. The caption read. Uh, despite the success, Red does not view the situation as a positive experience telling the Boston.com that he received death threats following the video's exposure. It's kind of new terrain for me. It's mental, Red said, but I don't want to give him credit for complicating my life. We're running our pizza shop and everybody is happy. I'm receiving death threats. I've received threats at my home. I'm receiving tons of all sorts of different attacks in many different ways, regardless of the negativity. He told the outlet that they're going to going to keep doing what they do. We're in this, no matter what red shared, we're going back to making pizza and making people happy. That's really not that fucking complicated. You make pizza, you make people happy. This is a interesting scenario because yeah, you want to sell a shit ton of pizzas. As they obviously did. But at some point, man, is it too much? And it seems like this red character wants nothing to do with Barstool, nothing to do with Portnoy. And like he said in the article, he fucking complicated his life. I, I do agree with Portnoy in that if he shows up, and reviews your place, he's going to help small businesses. It doesn't matter what the reviews say. A 6.4, now don't get me wrong, I mean, it's not great, but it's not like he's giving it a two. Give it a 6.4. So good on the community too for getting behind the drug on pizza and supporting it. That's what I would expect 
good Samaritans, civilians, uh, believers in mankind to do. Now, I don't quite, I don't quite get uh, why anybody would ever threaten this guy. What the fuck did this guy do other than say, yo, dude, like, I don't appreciate the negative press to Portnoy. And it's not like Portnoy's this sympathetic character that would forever, for whatever reason, draw any sort of empathy. So death threats and threats coming to drug on pizza or to our guy Red, that's fucking stupid. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know obviously how valid those are either, but he seemed pretty distraught and he seems like a pretty normal dude. Okay, uh, Ben Shelton. If you don't know the name, wake the fuck up because he is incredible. He's on a U.S. Open run. He may just be America's next men's tennis superstar. The wildest ride in tennis is a 20-year-old American from Atlanta via Gainesville, Florida, with a booming serve, a flair for showmanship, and a ravenous appetite for risk. But at the end of the day, Ben Shelton is now a U.S. Open semifinalist and a potential superstar after beating fellow American and number 10 seed Francis Tiofo. I don't know if I said that right or not. Tia Tiafo. That guy's legit, though. I've watched him play several times. 6-2-3-6-7-6-6-2. Under the lights at Arthur Ashe Stadium, he will now face tennis's ultimate test Friday against 23. Did I say that right? 23-time Grand Slam champion Novak Djokovic. Golly, 23 times. It doesn't get much better than that, said Shelton. Through Tiofo came in, though Tiofo came in as a better player and fan favorite thanks to his semi-final run here last year, the six foot four Shelton began drawing gas right away for his explosive athleticism and willingness to push the limits of a radar gun that was clocking many of his serves in the 130 and even 140 mile per hour range. But more importantly, he dictated play from the first ball and Tiofo deeply was deeply uncomfortable with the depth and the power of his shots. In some ways, Shelton's most difficult opponent Tuesday was his temptation to play too big in certain moments, losing the second set and nearly the third when his discipline fell apart. Anyhow, this guy's a fucking stud. I mean, it is a joy to watch this kid play. I remember Trent, who is a buddy of mine, lives right down the street, runs a tennis academy, actually, in Oklahoma, was telling me about Shelton last year, and he's like, this guy's going to be a star. Like, he is it. He is the truth. So, good on him. Just 20 years old, getting to the semifinals. It'll be fun to see how that shakes down against Dokovic. Okay, Major League Baseball scores from yesterday. That was Tuesday, September the 5th. It was 8-3, the Twinkies, over the Guardians. I like to get the scores on here. It gives me a little bit more detail. So from one device, my wife came in last night. I was on the treadmill, like literally preparing this show. So I'll go find some articles before I go to bed, maybe check. The Apple News uh, one more time before I come on here and see if I'm missing anything big. 
But here I am, I got the iPad, I got two phones and she goes, and then TV was on. She goes, you are over device stimulated. I'm like, yeah, you're right. What am I do? I, it, fuck, that's what we do. We create videos for a living here at No Filter Network and podcasts and a lot of this requires it. Now, there's times and place. I think that's why I enjoy my device-less morning run uh, so much this AM. So yeah, it was the Twins Guardians 8-3 yesterday and little highlights of that game a twins a five run eighth inning donovan solano a three run triple huh brewers seven three over the buckos it was the brewers with a six run fifth inning connor joe a kick and fucking hit three run homer she's only his 10th he must have been hurt at some point, uh, he's was with the Rockies and Brian Spielberg would always sing his praises and rightfully so the Reds seven, six over the Mariners yesterday. It was Encarnacion strand with the walk-off Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, just a, that's another sick play by him. They're saying speed leads to win. Ellie De La Cruz is the most dynamic player in the game. I mean, he is it. Numero uno. Yeah, there's a lot of great players and say what you want to. Otani, obviously, is a, I kind of look at him as in a world of his own. But holy shit, this Ellie De La, De La Cruz. Uh, he is something special. Boston goes down to Tampa. Uh, it was low with a walk-off homer, his 18th. So Tampa is very comfortably going to. Take home that first wild card spot. If not, they will, uh, if they don't catch the Orioles in the East. Renee Pinto, a two-run homer as well. The Marlins, 6-3 over the Dodgers. Uh, the Marlins, uh, let's see here, De La Cruz hit the go-ahead homer for them. It was the Mets, 11-5 over the Nationals. The Mets, Brandon Nemo, a two-homer game. Yankees 5-1. I mean, as soon as it doesn't count, here come the New York teams over the Tigers. It was, let's see here, Stanton, his 400th career homer. That's a lot of fucking home runs. I couldn't believe that. I mean, part of it, part of it feels like Stanton just came up yesterday. And I guess the other part kind of feels like he's been around for a long-ass time. But 400 home runs, I mean, this would be a great debate, too, because Let's say he finishes with 600 plus, which I think he will. Can he get to 700? I have no idea, but I think he'll finish with 600. He's going to be around long enough to do that. Is Stanton a Hall of Famer? Because my uh, initial inclination would be, if you ask me, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. I say not even close, but he's got the 400 homers. So anyway, DJ LeMahieu, a leadoff. Home run for the Yanks yesterday as well. It was the Cardinals, 10-6 over Atlanta. Well, you can't win them all. Nolan Gorman, a two-homer day for the Redbirds. And Jordan Walker goes deep. That's his 15th of the year for the Cardinals rookie. Cubs over the Giants last night. This is the one that we watched on Deuces Wild. There was a lot of plays that happened that were, I mean, hugely influential 
and the overall outcome. Uh, Morell, a three-run homer for the Cubbies, his 20th, and Saya Suzuki, a two-run homer, his 16th. But the plays that we talked about last night, number one was Nico Horner busting his ass down the line. Stanford kid, Bay Area kid, plays for the Cubs, rolled over a ball at third base. J.D. Davis got it, took one of these. That's it, just one. And that was enough for Horner to be safe. The Cubs went on to score four runs in that inning and took a lead. They were down 3 nothing. And then later in the game, the Giants had two miscues in a six-run seventh inning. One of those miscues was a fly ball to Jock Peterson where you could just tell he was fucked from the get. He's running like this. It's like, uh-oh. Boom, comes back. The wind blew it. Uh, the wind's tough. I mean, really, really tough at Wrigley Field. I mean, the ball moves more than any other ballpark I've ever played in when it, it comes to the wind. So I, I don't want to say a tough play. I mean, it's it's a big league fly ball. You got to catch it. Uh, although, trust me, I get it. I do understand how uncomfortable it is. I do understand how difficult it could be. As I told Thrill last night, a guy from Aguilas sent me a picture of basically the same thing that happened to Jock last night. It happened to me in the Dominican. So by no means am I casting stones, but if you're in a pennant race and you know, the stakes are a little different, regardless, I know Jock's out there doing everything he can do. And he had a fantastic night offensively for the Giants, but that ball fell. And then the other play that I thought was a real big one, I think it was right before Morell's homer, was the ground ball to third base. And at this time, J.D. Davis was out of the game. It was Casey Schmidt who was in. And he got it, and it was kind of a chopper, but he was falling back. And then he threw home, but it was an off-balance throw, short hop, Patrick Bailey. He doesn't come up with it, so they don't get the out. The run scores. In that situation, there had already been yeah, 15 runs put on the board. There's going to be more runs. You still have six outs to play with. So have the confidence that, you know, they're not going down. It wasn't a do-or-die play at home. I'm saying just take the out. Well, they didn't get the out, and then the Cubs continued to pile on after that. So it was a 11-8 to final there. You had the Royals 7-6 over the White Sox. They won on a walk-off buck. The pitcher actually tried to do a little quick pitch, but he didn't come set. You can't do that. You could do it if nobody's on base, but somebody was on base, obviously. So the walk-off Bach and the Royals win. And then the Astros absolutely take it to the Rangers, 14-1. to Jose Altuve homered in the first inning. He then homered in the second inning and homered again in the third inning. He also homered in his last at bat on Monday. So he homered in four consecutive at bats. If you've never met Jose Altuve, please understand that the dude is every bit of five fucking five. And that's it. Maybe, maybe five, six. Doubt it though. He's tiny. 
if he is not inspiration for every short ball player, or I should say vertically challenged baseball player in America, I don't know who the fuck is. He continues to grind away, decide all the bullshit, everything they had to deal with after winning the 2017 World Series and questioning whether or not they were stealing signs. I just spent a shit ton of time with Josh Reddick. And Reddick's like, dude, Altuve did not steal signs. He was not interested. That's the funny thing of all that. You say funny, it's not really funny because for whatever reason, he's the one. Oh, don't take my shirt off. Don't take my shirt off that everyone tries to blame because they think he's wearing a wire. So anyhow, that was uh, just another remarkable feat out of this little superhuman that continues to defy logic and be an inspiration to each and every one of us. Good on Jose Altuve. I know he's Biscuit's favorite baseball player, has been since the beginning. He's got a signed Altuve jersey downstairs, signed balls. Like, that's what made Biscuit an Astros fan. You just see this little guy running around. He's got the pep. He's got the energy. Really super cool. Orioles 5-4 over the Angels last night. A little shout out to Mickey Moniak. Huge base hit off the mill. There's a former number one pick overall that didn't pan out right away. He's stuck with it. Now in the big leagues with the Angels uh, doing a fantastic job. So big hit by Moniak last night with the game on the line. Uh, two outs now. It all went for naught because the Orioles went back and scored in the top of the 10th in extra innings. And then the Angels were shut out by, uh, I didn't see how do you see it? Fuji- Fujiami? Fujiami. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Rockies 3-2 over the Diamondbacks, so they lose a tough one. And then the Bluebirds 7-1 over your Oakland Athletics. And the Padres, well, all the teams that we have these huge expectations of, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Padres, all winners yesterday. And guess what else? They're all still going to be going home when the playoffs start. Okay, the standings look like this. It is Baltimore on top of the East, Houston on top of the West currently. This one's changing every day. And then Minnesota on top of the Central and the American League. The wild card teams are Tampa, Seattle, and Toronto. Texas is a half game back. They got to get their shit together. It's all about who gets hot at the right time. And Texas has not been hot. 76 and 62. And this is a team I'm rooting for. And obviously a manager I'm rooting for, Bruce Bochy. Boston is five out. So that's going to be tough for them to make that up. But Texas, you'd like to think they could go ahead and try to snag, snag that second wild card spot from either Toronto or Seattle. In the National League, Atlanta's running away at the East. They're 90 and 47 now. Holy shit. First team to 90 wins. The Dodgers, 84 and 53 on top of the West. No one's even close to them. And then Milwaukee, 77 and 61. But you got the Cubs at 75 and 64. And they're in the wild card picture right now, along with the Phillies, who are, would be the number one wild card team, 76 and 62. And then Cincinnati, if the season were to have end to end today, would be in the wild card. 
73 and 68. Right behind them is Miami, Arizona, and San Francisco. This is where it gets tough for San Francisco. They have to leapfrog not only Arizona, Miami. So that's one, two. They got to leapfrog three teams. It would have, they have to, Arizona, Miami, and, and Cincinnati. I don't know. That's a tall task. And they're two games out now, too. So we shall see the uh, beautiful little time change. Overtime. Work overtime. It's supposed to go like 44 minutes, and now I'm at 52. Yeah, fuck it. Mm. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right? Let's get on into the Wednesday. I don't know where my James Allen book is. That we typically like to close. Aha. Here we go. Again, life optimization first and foremost. So... What do we do? We end with the little James Allen, as a man thinketh. The body is the servant of the mind. It obeys the operations of the mind, whether they deliberately chosen or automatically expressed. At the biting of unlawful thoughts, the body sinks rapidly into disease and decay. At the command of glad and beautiful thoughts, it becomes clothed with youthfulness and beauty. Pretty simple, folks. Think good fucking thoughts. That's it. Back with the Daily Hustle tomorrow. Don't be afraid to tell a friend about it. We are available on all platforms now. Apple, Spotify, and we got a real mic. So the audio hopefully sounds a lot better. Catch us live on Caffeine Well, I I don't know if it's not live on Caffeine TV. We're live on No Filter Network. That's where you can get us live. We're live and interactive. You can fire away in the chat. And typically we film, say film, record, whatever, about 8.30 a.m. But not to deceive people, I don't like scheduling until right before I come on. So I fired this thing up and created the stream. And then that's it. We'll uh, see you tomorrow. One last big see ya for everybody.